It's just a game. Wins and losses will never define me. I damn sure don't want it on my tombstone. You don't want it. My record. Yeah. You know, so I find joy in living in my ministry. I find joy when coaches send messages in my direct message to tell me I my tweet inspired them that day. I find joy in my players at the end of the year saying, Coach, you saved my life. Or I see them, uh, I have players here living out their dreams, and so you want to be a coach in pro combines. My perspective in what I do and why I do it it's what keeps me going. And so when people see me, it's not happiness, it's joy. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, the number one name in pet food and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Well, you know what? It's funny how things work out. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. Uh, our guest today is... Yolette McEwen, and uh, she is a basketball coach formerly of Jacksonville University until very recently when she got the head coaching job at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. Uh, she is their new head women's basketball coach. Now, just a little backstory here. This conversation was supposed to take place almost a year ago after uh, the last Final Four where the uh, Women's Basketball Coaches Association has their annual meeting every year, their coaches meeting, and I'm fortunate enough to speak there on a regular basis. And a, I listened to Coach McEwen talk at the 2017 event and immediately wanted to talk to her for the podcast afterwards. And you're going to hear a little bit about that last meeting uh, in the conversation that we have on this episode. But things happened. We actually had a phone interview scheduled. We couldn't get the the technology to work right and her phone wasn't working well and the whole thing just sort of fell apart and we said, you know what, we'll catch up and then her season started at Jacksonville University and things just kind of, you know, rolled on. And I just sort of knew, all right, well the next Final Four, the twenty eighteen event, I'm gonna corner her and talk to her. Um, and the reason is because she has this unique voice and this unique ability to draw people in. And again, I'm going to explain that as we start the interview here in just a, in just a minute. But um, in the middle of this uh, interview um, and, and planning for it and then getting ready for the podcast, we started the interview uh, on, like I said, during the Women's Final Four. And... <laughs> She, at that time, was the head coach at Jacksonville University. What happened then a couple of days later was she got the job uh, that she has been working towards, which is a, a job at a BCS school, and that school is Ole Miss. University of Mississippi announced a couple of days later that she was the coach. So this conversation is interesting because she gave it while she was still the head coach at Jacksonville University. Uh, had not been offered the job at Ole Miss, had not uh, really gone through the final steps of, um, of of interviewing for it, and the whole thing was kind of up in the air at the time she gave the interview. So here's what I think is interesting, is you're hearing a coach that was at a mid-tier Division One school, and now she's at a... Uh, a BCS school and and one that's a program that there's a lot of opportunities to rebuild 
and she's going to get that opportunity. Uh, so that's sort of playing in the background of all this. But more than that, what you're going to hear from Coach McEwen is a passion for the sport, a passion for making herself better, and for making those around her better. And she has opinions on how to make assistant coaches better, what you need to do if you're a rising head coach, the mistakes she made early on as a as a head coach. And it's just, again, she is so genuine, and that's why she has such a voice within her coach's organization. And I think you're going to understand why after you listen to this interview. So whether you're a longtime head coach, whether you're a rising head coach, uh, no matter what division level, or you're an assistant coach just starting, there is so much in this for you in this interview. Um, So we start by talking about last year, the 2017 event, when we originally, uh, when I originally went to listen to her talk, and the idea for having her on the podcast happened, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, and, and one little note too, because as we are launching this particular podcast episode, like I said, she has just been named the head coach for Ole Miss women's basketball. So I expect there's going to be some fans, supporters, alumni of Ole Miss, and fans, supporters of their women's basketball program, that are listening into this. And you're going to get to know your new head coach in a really special way because this is not a press conference. This is not her lobbying for the job. This is not her trying to get you on her side if you are uh, from Ole Miss and you're a fan. This is her being herself. And having known her a little bit over these last few years, can I just say to the fans at Ole Miss and to her fellow coaches there, you're getting somebody really special. And you're going to find that out. Uh, and it's just going to be a great interview. I think you're going to learn a lot. And if you're a coach listening to this, which is the main focus of our podcast, college coaches around the country, you're going to learn a lot from this rising coach who you're going to be hearing a lot about, I think, in the years to come. So as we start this off, I look back to the time when uh, I heard her talk at the 2017 Women's Basketball Coaches Association meeting at the Final Four, and we kind of kick off the interview that way. So a year ago, I see that you're talking here at the Final Four. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to support. You know, you let go. You know, give her, you know, I just want to go and sit and you know be there and see how she does and everything. And so I walk. You know, I'm outside waiting to get in. It's packed. I have to sit like you know almost on the floor. There's people sitting on the floor and I'm thinking, what in the world? And you start talking and every coach is taking notes. Every coach is like it's silent in the room. So my first question is, it blew me away. So my first question is, why do you feel your voice gets listened to? There's a lot of coaches, and there's a lot of coaches at bigger schools. Why do why does your voice get listened to? I just think um, coaches in general, people, people in general, are searching for something transparent, mm. uh, something uh, that they can relate to. My story is unique, and so they didn't grow up seeing me play big time basketball. Mm-hmm. People didn't grow up uh, seeing me coach under. Yeah, I was just gonna say for for like the baseball, soccer, football coach that's listening. Can you just give me the, the give them the thirty second version sure. of like when you when you say that they're not familiar with your yeah. story? Okay. A lot of people listening yeah. wouldn't be. So, 
Go. Yeah, Yolette McPhee <laughs> yeah. McEwen, uh, born and raised in Freeport, Grand Bahama. Came to the United States to play college basketball. I'm a 4-2-4, so I went to a school, had a bad experience, transferred. Instead of sitting out, went to a junior college, finished up at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, Bo Pearman told me I should get into coaching. Started off in So You Want to Be a Coach and worked my way up from the bottom, from junior college all the way. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And one of the youngest coaches in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, going back to the question, why does your voice get listened to? Yeah, I just think it's the relatability, you know, the uh, transparency. Now, I really and look at this as my ministry uh, to teach, develop, and inspire everybody that I come in contact with. And while at the same time, learning. I'm a sponge, so I'm always asking questions. That's why I would always come to you. I, because, I was going to say, I can vouch for that. Yeah, I would always come because I, I just, I don't care. I want to learn right. something. I don't care if it's one thing. And so when people see me, because I'm, I interact on social media, if they see me in the lobby, I'll speak. People are, you know, they like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in tune to that. Um, just this weekend, coaches have come up to me and said, God, your Twitter, I just love, you know, and because it's real, it's mm-hmm. not fake. Right. I say what people are thinking. I'm not disrespectful, right. um, but I do have values and standards and things that I'm passionate about and some people don't have the courage for. And I always said if I got a platform, I would use it. Right. Okay. So the way this is going to go is I just want to let you talk okay. because that's what you did you just talked and talked and talked last year. So I'm just going to bring up topics, and then okay. I want to let you go. So no the, the first thing, your message to assistant coaches. That was one thing mm. in your talk last year mm. that really struck me and hit home was what you were saying about assistant coaches, their role, and what's needed, and what their attitude should be. Yeah. So yeah. assistant coaches, go. You know, my message to assistant coaches um, changes all the time because of the climate of the profession. And more more importantly now, although it's hard to get into coaching, then it's easy to stand out because people are just not working. So I feel like if you want to be a great assistant coach now, work hard. Work hard at serving your players. Work hard at serving your head coach. Work hard at serving the people that work with you. Uh, I, I just, that is, that is something that seems so simple, but it's, it's missing and it's easy to get ahead. So all you have to do is roll up your sleeves, not look for anybody to give you anything. You know, be honest with yourself and, and, and work hard to get the vision of your head coach to come into fruition. Assistant coaches that are struggling or they feel stuck or they can't, what, what can they do or what should they be doing differently to, to make that positive step in their career? I just think in anything that you want to do, you have to believe, you have to have the ends. You have to believe in, buy in, be all in, and locked in. And if one of those are off, you're not going to be successful. So I think more and more nowadays, you have to align yourself with people that have the same goals, same, and it can look different, but you, the end point needs to be the same, whether that's whatever that is. Because I tell my staff all the time, different voice, same message. You get what I'm saying? Because we're all unique. So I just think that it's important 
for coaches to align themselves with the same like people. Now, hey, someone can be something stronger and whatever, but your beliefs, your values, what what you're founded on, your foundation, it must be aligned. If not, you're either going to underachieve, you're going to feel devalued, and you're not going to maximize uh, your potential, which is to help these young people get better. There's a lot of mediocrity in college coaching, and that's why there's so much transition. So for somebody out there that just went through your four ends and they thought, uh-oh, I'm only hitting two, at a, two of those four, can you just chew them out a little bit yeah. right now and slap them upside the head and tell them what, it, what it's going to take? And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear what you would say to that coach that's listening. You know, I, I get it all the time. I get calls about being people complaining and, and whatnot. And my thing is, you know, I, I tell that coach, listen, take a second and listen to yourself. We, we, we complain and, and talk about our players and how soft and entitled they are. But sometimes they're a product of their environment. And, and, and the world just works that way. I think the universe works that way. So if you're soft and entitled and you don't like that your boss said something and you don't like that you didn't get this and you can't believe you had to drive six hours and coach didn't say thank you, toughen up. Because this world is not made for the wimps. And the wimps aren't winning. Tough people are winning. No one wants to hear your sad story because we all have one. So you're going to allow adversity to make you into who you greatly and ultimately want to be. Or you're going to crash and burn. It's either or. Right. <laughs> what do you look for in an assistant as a head coach? You, you, yeah, you've had, you always have opportunities to bring in new assistants. Yeah. Give me the top things that you would look for, aside from sport-related, on-the-court yeah. skills and, and everything. But just what are you looking for? I think, uh, you know, that's a great question, and it has changed since I've matured and had to build a program. Uh, You know, the first, the number one thing is a good person. Mm -hmm. And I I know that sounds like that should just be automatic, but uh, Gino said it. If I try to hire good people, and if they can coach, great. And so... You know, that good person, the intention out, the intention, their heart, you know, how they, what they're really trying to do. Are they really trying to help these kids? Because that's what it's about. Like, if you're not in this to help and serve, then you, I don't think there's room for you in the profession. So that would be first. Um, and then for me, work ethic. I just, I cannot... And I, I just don't understand lazy. I don't understand, you know, excuses. It doesn't work well for me, and I know me. Mm-hmm. So if you're one that, um, uh, you know, you're not resourceful, you're not, you, someone can tell you no, and, and I can tell you that wasn't a good scout, and that doesn't piss you off, then you're not the one for me because you should want to prove me wrong. You should want to be better. You know, I tell my coaches all the time like you're probably not gonna outwork me but you need to try you know (laughs) so just that competitive nature uh those would be the two things two top things for me what did you learn in your years of being a coach Mm -hmm. um that that 
you can look back now and you thought, I did that wrong. Like, what were the mistakes you made early in your coaching career that now your more mature, more experienced yeah, no. self would say, what was I thinking? Because no. there's a lot of young coaches that would be listening to this. Listen, and... Uh, Give me, like, your top three oh or four. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know what? Number one, comparison. Uh, comparison in, is the thief of joy. And I would sit around and compare. I'm so competitive. I'm so passionate. And I, I was like, oh, why didn't they give me a chance? I can't believe I would have done, you know, and just comparing my journey to other people. What a waste of time and distraction instead of running my own race. And so I would say to coaches, don't look to your left and to your right. Focus, you know, let people inspire you. But when you get in the comparison game, it's it's damaging. The second thing that I, I did wrong was um, I wasn't in tune with my head coach's wants as far as uh, players. And so, yes, I was known as a big recruiter, but now I understand that head coaches are great when they can coach the type of kids they can coach. I made a mistake because I wanted to show the world that, and so I, it was about me instead of serving my head coach. So yes, there was a WBC All-American that we were able to get, but can my head coach coach that? You get what I'm saying? And I made mistakes. And I think it it could have cost us in some ways. And I was a part of a staff that got fired. And so I had to learn that that, that, that was important. Um, and then I think third, you know, so it's hard as humans to not make it about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's just hard. And uh, I think that early on I was a little bit, I wanted to skip steps. And uh, I just know that when you skip steps, you're going to fall into an ankle or trip or whatever the case may be. And so I really, more than ever now, value the process and what that looks like for me. Because it's going to be different from every, for everybody. But whatever that is, really search for that and try to find ways to be at peace with it. Two follow-up questions then from what you just said comparison mm-hmm. and competitive you know not being distracted yeah. by the comparison mm-hmm. part the coaches you, know, you you brought it into you know why didn't I get that chance for that job yeah. I see it with you know why do they have more stuff than us or mm-hmm. she has a bigger office than yeah. I do mm-hmm. and does that so does that is that different from being competitive because I could say that's the same sort of spirit of competitiveness is that mm-hmm. I want that mm-hmm. I mean so how, how yeah. do those two I it was really interesting uh, comparison between yeah. comparing and, and competing because they're they sort of overlap in some ways right. well hey the thing is I think as if you're gonna be in a, any type of sport or business and, and when I say sport I don't mean just basketball it could be in the corporate America like it's a competition mm-hmm. that's I think that's what it is I'm not I don't compare anymore I'm I'm more inspired mm-hmm. so I like to use that word okay. because there are people that I watch and I see how they do things the greats and I am inspired by that and I think that makes me competitive to want to reach that goal but am I gonna compare the fact that they are in a certain situation I refuse to right okay yeah the other thing you talked about you were on a staff that was fired what did you learn from being fired 
Oh, that is gonna. It's inevitable. <laughs> it's 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 inevitable. It's inevitable. I mean, it's a part of the journey. You know, it's ad- it's adversity. It's just it builds character, and um, you know, uh, I I feel like. What I learned is that I don't want to be fired again. <laughs> and so, you know, I really, when I got over myself... Do you think you, I was just going to ask, do you think you handled it well? Yeah, oh yeah, because um, I was, I got, in two months after that, I was a head coach at Jacksonville. Yeah. So I got lucky, but uh, I think what I learned the most from being fired is that everybody that is a part of something, whether it's success or failure has a hand in it right and although the head coach is the one that takes the blame or gets the praise you had a hand in it so if you're successful right human nature wants you to get that pat and say hey man you did a great job and stuff and and as leaders we should do that because you have to understand the power of the compliment but don't Look for it, you know, be at peace with knowing that if there's success and you are a part of it, that team, you did something to help with that. And no one needs to validate that for you. But in the same voice, if there's failure, before you point the finger, know that you had a hand in that as well. And that's humbling. And it's hard to accept. But I think I have learned to have a great sense of self-awareness. And I think that that keeps me grounded. You have two beautiful young children. Mm -hmm. How has that changed the way that you coach and interact with your players, having having kids? 180. 180. Oh, gosh. 180. Eight. Give me the before and after. Give me well, some, talk about that. Yeah, before I just had no, I I, I I had no empathy for parents when their kids didn't play, mm-hmm. or if I need to kick them off the team, or if they got in trouble. It was like no, they should know, and this is they should know better. And why are they doing this? And see, this is a nagging parent. And then fast forward, I'm a mom now, and I get it. <laughs> That light bulb it's was that like, whoa, switch. yeah. And so when when parents are upset with me because I'm not playing their daughter, instead of me looking at it like, oh, here goes this parent, and I'm trying to, I embrace it. You know why? Because they're just concerned. Right. They're just scared. They just want the best for their child. Yeah. They don't care about anybody else. It goes back to what you said. We're all humans. We're all human. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation and this year with a dad, and I said, look. You're concerned, and I understand, because you're a parent, and I'm a parent. So let me explain to you what's going on. And at the end of that, if coaches would take just a little bit more time to talk to parents and try to express, you know, can you do it every week? No. But they would ride with you more if you just give them a voice. And people just want a voice. Yeah. And why, and why can't they have a voice? You went in their house and you begged them to come and you told them you're going to take care of them and now they can't have a voice. Let them have a voice and then set your standards and go from there. Right. Best thing about this generation of student-athlete? Uh, you know what? The, they're innovative. Uh, they want to write their own story. I think we give them a hard time, but we have created some of these monsters that are around. <laughs> you know, um, they're fun. Um, 
and 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 they're the future. Right. Is what's not exciting about that? Worst thing about this generation of kid. Uh, they, you know they're they're entitled, uh, and it's because of how it's us. We you know they fall. We want to pick them up right away. We wanna we want them to have lives that were better than us, and so instead of finding the balance, we overcompensate. You know, I remember I, I took our, our, my husband and I, we took our daughter to Disney World and everything she wants, she got. You know, because I wanted her to have a great sure. memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that was necessary because now I'm trying to explain to her that she can't get everything right. that she wants. And we have to talk about that and the value of money and, right. and those kind of things. And that's why grandparents are the best because they make mistakes with their kids and they get to fix it with their grandkids. Right. right. right? And so. Um, My grandmother had a magnet on her refrigerator that said, Grandchildren are your reward for not killing your kids, <laughs> your children. So it's sort of the same, same thing. Absolutely. And, um, and so. You know, uh, I think uh, the exposure is probably one of the worst things because these kids nowadays are, uh, they they understand failure. They're aware of it. I remember I would ride a bike. I never thought about falling. Yeah. Now the kid has 15 pads and, had, you know, they, I mean, they know that there's a, and so it stops them from stretching. Right. And, and I watch that all the time. My biggest challenge with my players is fair failure. Mm. It makes them react in ways. It makes them act out sometimes so that they don't have to try. Right. It makes them have a negative outlook so that they don't have to try. It makes them not dream because they don't want to be disappointed. Mm. The fair failure is something that I battle more than anything. How does that, that fear of failure, how does that translate, or how do you see it translating into recruiting? Mm-hmm. Um, so here you are at Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You're recruiting an, a student-athlete who could come in and probably get lots of minutes as a freshman, and yet, should I go to that BCS school and sit for two years because it's going to be nicer for my dad to wear that sweatshirt with that, that name on it instead of Jacksonville? Yeah, yeah. It, so that fear of failure, how do you, that's the way I see some of it translating into recruiting, but how, how does it affect their view towards recruiting? I mean, it affects us tremendously, and it's so sad because, you know, I put out a tweet the other day, and I knew I pissed a lot of people off because I said, you know, they were talking about these kids not playing, and I said, stop blaming these kids. It's the parents, AAU coaches, high school coaches, because you want to do what you think is quote-unquote sexy, and but it's not in the best interest of the kid. And so... You know, the way we recruit, we, we know that those it's it's sad, but we know they're not going to make it. So right. we establish those relationships for the kickback for a year, yeah. two years down, down the road. Sure. But you know what, too, Dan? What I've started to do is get kids that fit what we're trying to do. Right. You know, and then coaching them up. Because I'm telling you, kids nowadays, you people think roster management and success – correlates with talent yes it does but it also the fit has to be right Right. so I just stay away if a kid looks at uh, is if I talk to him and I say well what are your priorities well the gym and oh no immediately I'm not recruiting you because we don't have something that is going to attract you I want you to want to be a part of our program because you want to be great and and be developed on and off the floor yeah Mm mm-hmm uh, you become the president of the NCAA. Yeah. Uh, three things that you would change to make it better, just to make 
make it better, however you want to define better? Oh, wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I think the first thing is... I guess maybe the different way to ask it is, what do you see wrong with college sports in general, but also Mm -hmm. if you want to relate to specifically basketball, that's good too. Yeah, I mean, I would change the transfer rule. Um, I know people are totally against that, uh, but I just think that kids should have an opportunity to right their wrongs. Isn't this about growth? People make mistakes all the time. We make mistakes, and then we, hopefully, if we don't die, we get to fix it, right? So why can't a kid get to fix it? And then some would say, but there's a penalty every time we make mistakes. But isn't isn't 18 to 22 the years where we should be guiding them and helping them before they get out in the real world? So a kid can't make a mistake and want to fix it because the NCAA says... No, and, and if you do, you have to, you get what I'm saying? Let the, if we're really about the student-athlete experience, why not give them an opportunity to fix something that may be wrong? Mm. One-time transfer. Yeah. Let them go, they're transferring anyway. So first, <laughs> I mean, and a coach can leave. Yeah. And, and should there be stipulations? Yes. But if a coach leaves, if a coach gets fired, if a coach no longer wants a player, Right. They should be able to go and play right away. Right. That's my personal opinion. People, I mean, mm-hmm. coaches all the time come and give me their two cents, but I'm sure. passionate about the student-athlete right. experience. Um, uh, secondly, you know, I go back and forth then about this, the scholarship numbers. You know, I, I don't want to take away opportunities for young women. Maybe we can give it to other sports, but I just think the, for the parity of the game, you know, 13 scholarships Maybe something that we probably need to look at if we really want to continue to grow the game. Now people compare our game to the men's game, and I think it's crazy because we're not even there yet. Like, right. allow us to continue to grow. Right. You right. get what I'm saying? And then I would... It's that process again. Yeah. And I would let the coaches, the body, if this the WBCA, the coaches have more say in the overall uh, way we function, mm-hmm. you know, because coaches are bright, we're experienced, we have great ideas, and there's some things that we can do to help make the student-athlete experience better that uh, we just don't get the voice and the opportunity to. What's your favorite part of recruiting? The actual process, or just what? Just pick uh, out a part that's yeah. your favorite. Uh, relationship building. Yeah. There's so, man, there's so many kids all over this country that I'm very close with, mm-hmm. uh, from people in the same conference, people in different conferences. That we win a big game. I, I may get a text from a player from a P5. Just the relationships. If you're really in it for the right reason, you know that you're gonna win some and lose some. But I value those relationships. And I follow up with them, and 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 because they're young people, you know, and 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 I'm really passionate about pouring into, and and I'm not selfish enough to just do it with my own players, you know. I want to touch every kid that I possibly possibly can, and be some inspiration yeah. for them. I love it. Yeah. You have friends that I'm sure. Are, it's well, first of all, it's tough to be a coach. Yeah. Tough to be, especially a mom and yeah. a coach. What do you tell your fellow coaches, whether they're men or women, mm-hmm. about if they come to you and they maybe tell you about maybe thinking about getting out of coaching? 
some other line of work, more time, or whatever the reasons, what do you tell them? You know, that that, that, that really breaks my heart because we are losing quality coaches, but I do understand life cycles. Mm-hmm. And so for the ones that we lose, there's so many more that are coming up, that right. are hungry. And that's just evolved. That's evolution. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. That's it's competition. In, it's, it's inevitable. So it breaks my heart when, you know, there are people that want to leave the profession. But I just think that we all need to do what we're passionate about and if the passion is no longer there if we can't find a way then it's probably best for us to move on because we're going to do a disservice to you know the student athlete right 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 um three more questions the first being when you have a family on campus and every campus is different every every school is different um, what are you looking for as a as a as a coach and a recruiter to figure out is it the right fit? Is this the type of kid? Like, what are your red flags or what are the things you mentioned? One about you know, like if they're all about the gym and the yeah. facility, you know, right now at this point you're, you don't have it. So, so what are the things though that you listen for and look for to tell you okay, this is going to be a kid that I want versus. Mm, great player but it's not going to be the right fit because yeah. I think that's one thing that coaches really like they're trying to figure that part mm-hmm. out they know they can identify the good player yeah, right. easy right yeah. but is, is he or she yeah. going to be a good yeah. fit to run a program you know whoa Dan this is a great one um, you know I, I look for I do my homework a lot of times you know coaches I don't know how many will admit this but they know what they're getting before they get it but they're afraid to either they don't know what they really want and that's common or they take a chance and it fails anyway Mm. so I look for um, I pay attention to backgrounds I pay and when I say backgrounds it doesn't matter the background I'm talking about like your environment Um, I pay I pay attention to you know your not what you say but how you act your social media I pay attention to the friends that you hang with and associate yourself with. Like, I get really deep into, I, I want to hear from as many people as I can about your character. Uh, I try to stay away from psycho parents. They're out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, uh, that it never works. Um, you know, and I, I am more compelled to take players that have a chip on their shoulder because I relate to those type of players that have probably been passed over or someone slept on and and um and tough i like i really really look for tough kids that works for me regardless of where i'm at i'm always going to look for those things so you mentioned the psycho parent and um you're shaking your head now (laughs) here's the response i just heard a couple thousand coaches around the country say yeah, but coach, she's a game changer. He's a game changer. It's going to take our program to the next level. Your response to them? Good luck. <laughs> because uh, from experience, it usually never works out. The successful teams um, have... It's a difference between a psycho parent and a and a parent parent, mm-hmm. you know? Because parents are who they are. They're worried, they care, they love their kid. And and, and rightly so. And that is their job. Right. Uh, but, 
if you're going to have a parent that is ultra involved, that is not going to allow the kid to be who they need to be, that's going to email your administration every other day, uh, you're in deep trouble. It's not, it's not worth the sacrifice. That's not how you build a team. Again, the, all the four ends, those are also for the parents. I have parents because I'm a parent. If I don't play a kid, I'm, in, I'm hurting. So I'll go to the parents and say, hey, listen, you know. <laughs> You're going to them to apologize. Yeah, yeah, listen, I, I don't lose hope. And parents stop me in the, before I get started. Coach, we trust you. Coach, we don't need to hear it. Coach, my kid's getting better. Right. And those are the type of parents that you want because they're part of the program as well, whether you like it or not. But, and so what you just said, I'm thinking, well, of course they said that because you're communicating with them. You have the yeah. relationship with mm-hmm. them the whole time. So would it be fair to say that as if a coach had problems with parents – your advice to them would then be right, check your communication are you do you yeah. have the relationship because yeah. if you're transparent and yeah. they trust you and they're stopping you, hey we trust you yeah. that sounds a lot different than what i hear from other coaches yeah. fair enough I'm yeah oh absolutely and listen i've gotten it wrong you know i'm sure you know if you put out a report card i would get some f's for some parents mm-hmm. sometimes it just doesn't work out but i don't try to i but more will give me better scores why because i invest in the relationship i truly believe in the whole village perspective and so i get a hold of these parents right away i think a lot of time parents get upset and disgruntled because they're lied to and in recruiting that happens and i am brutally honest there's nothing that happens in my program that takes my parents by shock (laughs) i tell them look I curse a little, you know, or I'm going to be hard or or if I'm getting ready to really be hard or I've had a hard practice on a kid, I call the parent and I say, look, such and such is going to call. They're going to tell you they want to come home. Don't let this happen. I need your support. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes a lot of times you have to check that. I don't care what these coaches say. Everyone needs to be on board. Some won't. But the majority need to be on board. And this ain't 20 years ago. We have to um, invest in every single part of these kids' lives. That can be from the girlfriend or the boyfriend. That can be from the parent or the grandma or the auntie. And it takes a lot of work. But if you want to be great, you better invest. Yeah. Uh, Your two kids, they grew up to be student-athletes, really good student-athletes. What's your advice going to be for them looking for a college, and what are you going to look for as a mom? Yeah, well, um, I'm going to look for a coach that will love uh, my kids the way I love my players. You know, that I don't try to. How would that coach prove that to you? Like, what would you be looking for? Yeah, just someone that's brutally honest. I think that parents need to do a better job of understanding their kids and knowing the environment that they can excel in. You know, you know what gets what, what kills me is parents that say it's going to be the the kid's decision. How are you letting your kid at 18 make a decision when they're being persuaded by 30 year olds and up? Do you know the mind games? That like you better get involved. You better give some insight. You're going to let an 18-year-old or 17-year-old make a decision that 
can impact the rest of their life by themselves, get out of here. So for me, I am going to be involved. Ultimately, hopefully I've done a good job where my kid knows how to assess. and, and But it's going to be a team effort because that is my job as a parent. Right. To help them navigate through that. Do I make the final decision? No. Right. But I'm not going to be sitting back and letting a 40-year-old be on, on the phone with my daughter and selling them a bunch of dreams. So for me, assessing where my kid can be successful and, and saying, you know what, that looks good, but let's be real with ourselves. You know, you're not going to function in that environment. <laughs> and, and, and so... Uh, I, I would want my kid to play for that coach where they're going to be able to grow. Who's going to invest in them to get what they need, you know, so that they can be successful when the air comes out of the ball. Right. Okay, so my last question is a lot of coaches are in this because they love their job, their yeah, sport, yeah. Um, but they also want to be happy. Mm-hmm. There's that, that pull of, of, you know, we want to do what we want. We also want it to be, make us happy. Mm-hmm. So what would your advice be to coaches as they finish listening to this on how to achieve happiness in coaching? Because I would say that when people look at you and part of the draw of you here at this convention with these coaches is they see you're happy. Yeah. And I think they're probably trying to figure out why she, why she's so happy because she doesn't have the gym. She's not at the BCS school and yet everybody comes up to, to coach you yeah. and yeah. loves you. And yeah. so what, what, what would your, what would your advice to them be for that coach that likes their job? They're a good coach. They like their sport, but they haven't, they're still trying to figure out the happiness part. Wow, um, and, and and that is a um, that is a task because you have to work on it. It's like marriage; you don't just show up and have bliss. You know, I've been June makes eleven years for my husband and I, and that, and it took it takes work, and so happiness takes work as well. I think uh, a couple things you need to be in tune. Dan, I keep saying this with yourself, mm-hmm. knowing the type of environment that will allow happiness for you. And that is different for everybody, but you really need to look for that fit. And coaches don't do that. So here's how they get miserable. They run for the money. Mm-hmm. They chase the dollar. And and the more money you make, the more expectations, demands. And I demand, and I, 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 my, my coaches don't make a lot, but I bring in coaches that have the same values the same goals and so it works for us I asked my associate head coach the other day what do you like about working here he said coach we have fun we laugh we have a good time here's another thing balance my the fact that we lost a game the other in the championship and, and I get on the bus and my daughter's You're saying, smiling, right? just for people listening, you're smiling right now. And you started the sentence yeah. with, we lost a game yeah, in the championship. Yeah, yeah. And you we, got a big smile on your face. We, we lost <laughs> a game in the championship. And my daughter said, you know, mommy, I thought you did a great job. You know? And so that balance, whether it's working out, whether it's a spouse, or whether it's a hobby, you have to have it. And, and, and you know what keeps me happy, Dan, and, and, you know, credit to Agnes Baranato, um, my former boss, um, taught me this. It's just a game. 
wins and losses will never define me. I damn sure don't want it on my tombstone. You don't want it. My record. Yeah. You know, so I find joy in living in my ministry. I find joy when coaches send messages in my direct message to tell me I my tweet inspired them that day. I find joy in my players at the end of the year saying, Coach, you saved my life. Or I see them, uh, I have players here living out their dreams, and so you want to be a coach in pro combines. My perspective in what I do and why I do it it's what keeps me going. And so when people see me, it's not happiness, it's joy. Because some days I do have bad days, but the joy that I have inside helps put me through. Well, there you go. That is Coach Yulette McEwen. And if you are a fan at Ole Miss, you just got to know your head coach in a really great way. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun watching her. She's going to bring a lot of excitement to that program, I think. And, uh, again, you just get an early peek at what's in store. A great person, great human being, and we wish her all the luck in the world in her new job. And if you're a coach, you probably notice the same thing that I noticed towards the end. Uh, Now she has the big gym, and now she has the staff, and now she has all the things that she was just talking about. Uh, And, you know, you hope that she doesn't change and I don't think she will I think she's she's true to herself and she's going to be genuine and take this opportunity and run with it but uh, but I think she's learned as she's grown up in the game that she's not going to change who she is family's going to be number one she's going to do things the right way and again we just wish her all the luck in the world as she starts and takes over this this program and tries to rebuild it and make us something special. So we thank you for listening to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast and this week's episode, and we hope you learned a lot from it. We'll be back again next week, and if you're new to the show, check out all the past episodes with great coaching interviews, great insights, and, uh, and knowledge that we pass along to college coaches on a weekly basis. We'd love for you to subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Google Play, or online at stitcher.com thanks for listening we'll see you again next week here on the college recruiting weekly podcast that was awesome was it Awesome. Okay. And I've done podcasts. Yeah. But that was awesome.